this pandemic thing right. Go wash your hands, bunker up, and listen to all 92 episodes of Stick to Wrestling. And sure, sure, there are some good podcasts out there. We're aware of that. But are they wicked good? Let's ask this guy. No! No! That pretty much seals it. The one and only Wicked Good Podcast, Stick to Wrestling. Give us 60 minutes. And perhaps, indeed, we will give you a Raw Bone Podcast. And with that, oh, follow me on Twitter, uh, John McAdam. Just type in the name. See the two guys fighting with chairs. That's me. Follow me on my quest for one million Twitter followers. In order for me to achieve that, I only need about another one million Twitter followers. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, everyone loves the guy, the convivial co-host himself, Mr. Sean Goodwin. Sean, all the way from Quincy, how are you? Love seems strong. Uh, I'm in quarantine. Uh, we, uh, I'm not sick myself, but pretty much the entire state's under a uh, state of emergency. So since you are quarantined, what better to do than to check out the Stick to Wrestling Facebook page? And if you, uh, you know, if you missed it this week, you could have found out, uh, did Backlund keep his crown 40 years ago today? He might've. Is there anything better than me and Gene outtakes? Where can I find Ron and Whitey footage from 62? Links to our YouTube clips of the podcasts, old school videos, clippings, pictures, and whatever else we find on the interweb. Again, what else are you going to do? We're, you know, we can't go outside without catching some horrible, you know, illness. Yeah. It's come and it's come to a sad state, but, the podcast is becoming more and more interactive. We try to take some questions from the people uh, on our Facebook group every week, and we're doing it this week as well. But once again, go to our Facebook group, just do the search, stick to wrestling, and it'll come up. And it's a cool place to hang out and talk wrestling, bottom line. There is no question at this point, WrestleMania will not be going on as planned. And when I say that, they are either going to have the event either cancel it i doubt they'll cancel it but i'm also not going to rule it out but more likely i think they're going to hold it in a building without an audience they already have their training center you know with the nxt set up and i have a strong feeling that's where the 2020 version of wrestlemania is going to be held uh, and then with that i want to bring on my special guest he's been on the podcast before he was great at it brandon rice brandon thank you for coming on Thank you for having me again, fellas. I'm back for round two. Let's go. All right. Brandon, what are your thoughts about seeing, or if you choose to watch, and you usually watch them, an event of the magnitude of WrestleMania held in an empty building? I mean, I think at this point, you kind of got to do what you, what you think you have to do. I don't think, <clears throat> I, I guess I kind of take wrestling a little differently than I do, say, like uh, a March Madness game where at this point, watching on the network, you know, participating in the group watches, that sort of thing, I kind of feed off the energy, uh, you know, of the guys that I'm watching with at home or, you know, guys in the group watch uh, from the Facebook group. I don't really feed as much off the crowd as I do, say, like a real sporting event. Yeah. Um, and honestly, a lot of times the crowd is super dead during these five-hour pay-per-views anyway. So I don't know that it would bother me very much. I think it would probably be weird seeing the undertaker do his entrance to nobody in the crowd oh, yeah. uh but yeah it, it wouldn't bother me it wouldn't deter me from watching or anything like that no no I, that's how i'm feeling about it shine what are your thoughts i really don't have a choice uh and and as we, we've been talking about this on several podcasts that it's no longer about the fans anymore like it used to be it's about the tv event i mean you, you can't do it without the fans this isn't like you know third 20 whatever years ago where you have to have Starcade, you would have to have the fans there you can get away with it now but i still it's going to be weird how will the wrestlers be affected though because i mean again as brandon was saying that they they usually feed off that energy of the crowd there is no crowd yeah they're i mean they're working the crowd and doing what works in front of them and now they're not going to have that i mean these are bizarre times man i mean watching mm -hmm sports and i think we're going to be watching sports for a while without there being a crowd like i think opening day there's not going to be fans uh ncaa tournament like seeing it with no noise in an empty building you're going to hear guys complaining about the refs and all kinds of good stuff but i mean uh, barry rose friend of the show 
made a good point like a half an hour ago. Like WrestleMania is being held in Tampa, and does the city of Tampa want thousands, if not tens of thousands, of people entering the area from all over the country and all over the world at this point? The answer is no. Do you know why the NCAA finally decided they had to start canceling? Because the governor, it was one of the governors said that we're not having them here. It was Ohio. Well, then what are you going to do? So if they decide to have the event, that's what Florida's going to do. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is... They're not taking that chance. No, they're not. Take us. All it was, there was a Biogen conference over in South Boston, right by the water. And all of a sudden, there's like 70 that just came out of that. It was just like some conference. Oh, man. It's hard to keep up with. I mean... The New York St. Patrick's Day Parade has been canceled. Uh, the Boston St. Patrick's Day yep. Parade has been canceled. And, and for good reason. I mean, yes. back when they had the Spanish flu, they had a, a parade in Philadelphia, and thousands of people who t- attended the parade died. This is, yeah, the Spanish flu like 100 years ago. We are forever complaining about these guys not being on top of this. Uh, and when after it gets out of control. For once, they're on top of it. Uh, if you want to say that. But anyway, let, let's put smiles on people's faces. We are here. I mean, to, locally. Yeah, we are here happy. to I mean, distract yeah. you from the horrors of right. the real world. So let's get started talking about wrestling. It is WrestleMania season, like it or not. And we are going to discuss WrestleManias from the past. I specifically wanted to have Brandon on this show because he was really young when the first WrestleManias were going on. Obviously, he's had a lifetime to watch them over and over again, and I just like getting that perspective from you, Brandon. Yeah, that's why I'm here. Uh, I I obviously, you know, was I was not even one years old when the first WrestleMania happened. Uh, I was four and a half when the fifth one happened. But growing up, obviously, I was able to, you know, do a lot of tape renting, and there were just so much more WWF videos available than anything else. Oh yeah. Uh, I've probably seen WrestleManias one through five probably about five hundred times. I've watched them all on the network within the last year or so. So, uh, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty abreast to, to the comings and goings of all of them. That sounds good. All right. Uh, and one thing we did, we opened up for some questions from people. We've got some talking points. Sean, you're the quarterback of the show. I'll let you do your thing. The questions are, they will be mostly directed to each one. We're doing uh, WrestleMania is one through five. So the questions will be, these ones will be one, then two, then three. Okay. We have one general question from Dan Potts. Who else would you have liked to have seen face Hogan in any of these WrestleManias? What do you think, Brandon? Uh, So I think barring, you know, no salary cap, no negotiations, you know, no politics, anything like that. There's two guys that I would have liked to see the headline uh, an early mania with Hogan. I would say 86 or WrestleMania two. I would love to have thrown flair in there. We could have gotten flair up to New York to put him in the cage with Hogan. I would have liked to see that. And then I would say 88, and this would obviously have to cause for some rebooking, some complete rebooking of WrestleMania 4. I would have liked to see Barry Windham in 1988 up against Hogan, maybe headlining WrestleMania 4. That's kind of been a, a sort of a dream match of mine to have seen happen. Um, I have, you know, rabid thoughts of seeing Windham get Hogan up in the air on a superplex. I think that'd be really cool. So I'd say Flair 86, Wyndham 88. So Flair WrestleMania 2, Wyndham WrestleMania 4. Again, barring any politics, restrictions, salary caps, that sort of thing. Those would be two dream uh, main events that I would have liked to have seen. For me, it could have been Flair any year. Ric Flair versus Hulk Hogan was that marquee WrestleMania matchup that they never did. And they could have done it at WrestleMania 8. I think they should have done it. I mean, from the time in in summer of 1991, when it became apparent that Ric Flair was WWF bound, everyone said, you know, oh yeah, next April, it should be Ric Flair versus Hulk Hogan. The rumor that went around, or what people were saying at the time, was that Sid Vicious was promised the main event at WrestleMania 8 when he agreed to go to the WWF, I want to say this was May 1991. And at the time, I laughed it off because everyone in the business that I've ever talked to who has been with the WWF, Vince doesn't make promises when it comes to contracts. He just, you know, I'm giving you an opportunity, no promises. 
But I've heard that story enough, and things had had already started changing. And I think it was four years later, five years later, Brian Pillman got a guaranteed contract. That I now believe the story that Sid was promised the main event, and that's why we didn't see Flair Hogan in '92. But anyway, uh, another guy, and we'll get more into this later on. I think Nikita Koloff would have been really good as Hogan's opponent in WrestleMania too. My concern about Cole, um, Nikita is his size. Because like what ended up happening with the Road Warriors, when you put them in with the skyscrapers, they kind of got exposed a little bit. Will Nikita's intimidation factor still stand up against the little more bulked up Hulk from 1986? I say yes. I mean, he was Nikita was so big in 85 and 86. Yeah. I mean, he looked like big the next most- to Flair. Yeah, big next to Flair. Uh, Is he going to be big next to Hogan? He was still out there with guys like the Warlord, with the uh, the Barbarian Warlord in 86, obviously, but Barbarian, they had some big guys in the NWA. I mean, you're right, Hogan was big, but you would have had huge guy versus huge guy. One guy I think I I was thinking of who can hang with him size-wise a little bit was Ted DiBiase, a monster heel version from Georgia. Georgia and Mid-South, I agree with you. Ted was a really big guy. I mean, they gave him the right gimmick if he had come in at a little bit of a different time. I think we could have seen Hogan versus DiBiase at WrestleMania 4. We'll, we'll, we'll talk more about that WrestleMania 4 time. But I agree, DiBiase could have come in at eight, in 85 and 80, or 86 and have been part of the WrestleMania picture. I also agreed with Flair, of course, because that was that I mean that was the dream match. I mean that's if, if you grew up watching wrestling in the eighties, it was Flair Hogan. That was Celtics Lakers, and uh, the other two I thought of again. This goes back to the size, where I think they kind of would override that. Is one is Stan Hansen, and Stan's my answer for any one of these questions. And another might be surprising because I've been critical of this guy in the past, and whenever I'm critical, I seem to shock somebody each time. Which since I've been saying this for two years is odd. But in this case, he works perfectly. Brody. Yeah. Uh, I think Brody is like all the things that Brody doesn't do well would not be an issue here. And I think that that would be a great matchup. And it's the end of Brody's career. Big paycheck. I still think he'd do it. I'm I'm certain he would do it. I mean, not suppose, you know, Dave Meltzer and Bruiser Brody were friends. And Dave has stated that, you know, Brody told him that when the time came, he was going to go to the WWF headline WrestleMania or another big pay-per-view, and he was willing to do the one, two, three. Here's one that aggravated me that I didn't get to see, and it was just the timing of it, was Paul Orndorff. All right. I will say this, and I, everyone, anyone who listens to the show who has interacted with me online knows I think Paul Orndorff was great. I think he could have been NWA champion. Um, but when we had the first WrestleMania, you had Mr. T, who was a household name, a national celebrity. You had Hulk Hogan, who was a huge deal. You had Roddy Piper, who was a huge deal. And I think Orndorff was a step down from those guys in terms of, like, stardom. I mean, he was a great wrestler, great at what he did, but he was the one that kind of didn't fit. And I think if they, you know, they, there was a possibility of doing Hogan versus Orndorff at a WrestleMania, it didn't happen, but I just didn't think his feet were big enough for those shoes. It wasn't 85, it wasn't 86, because he grew into those shoes pretty fast. That was the hottest feud of that year, without question. Oh, yeah. It was him and, with him and Orndorff, and it just was timed inappropriately. It just kind of fell in between them, but that would have been, I thought, that, was, that may have been one of Hulk's all-time hot feuds with no, Orndorff during that summer. Mean, the summer of 86, I mean, it was, you know, Hogan yeah. versus Orndorff was... was selling tickets like crazy great chemistry i mean maybe that's part of it too paul maybe could not have gone but he had such great chemistry with hulk that i think it's kind of my same thinking with brody just to add to the order of speculation here and i think that this is actually um one of my answers to some later questions is why not do because everybody you know kind of applauds the run that they had uh late 86 into early 87 the saturday night's main event cage match which had a pretty cool semi-ending why don't you, essentially after WrestleMania 1, that started Orndorff's face turn, why don't you fast-track his turn-back heel that he did on Hogan in late 86? Why don't you do that in early 86, and then you have Hogan-Orndorff in the cage at WrestleMania 2 in L.A.? That's actually a really good idea. I, I think, though, 
you would have turned Orndorf back to appeal a little bit too fast. I actually thought they did it too fast as it was, to be honest with you, but who am I to argue with the ticket sales? But I think, yeah, that, that would have been a little too quick, in my opinion. I just would have slow burned the little tag team partnership that they had after the events. So now we'll go into the actual specific events. We'll start off with WrestleMania 1 and with a couple of kind of little opening salvos, if you will. Uh, one of the things I always bring up with this is with this event that I think is underrated and so important is just the, the way they built it up, particularly the MTV part of it. Because the, the MTV thing was vital. Because you really had not had a national television wrestling show hit that big in a long, long time. And I, I mean, the rumor has it. It was, it was, you know, the Hogan Piper thing was, was just amazing that you would yeah. have a match of that magnitude on free television. Brandon, did you ever get to see that match? I'll bet you did. Uh, which one? The, the Hogan Piper match, match on MTV. The, was that the brawl to settle it all or the war to yep. uh, settle the score? The one that was on MTV and it was uh, with Cindy Lauper and all. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was the war to settle the score. And yeah, no, I have seen that match. And I think to kind of build up to the whole WrestleMania thing, the fact that the WWF was kind of leading the charge with the expansion, and then you link up with, you know, one of the hottest TV networks, and then you have your two top guys, your top heel and your top face, fighting on free TV, kind of giving people a taste that probably hadn't yet been exposed uh, to a lot of wrestling just off being MTV fan. I mean, it seemed like a, a can't miss. It seemed like a home run to me. Yeah, um, John, I had a quick, uh, the old story went that Dick Ebersol was on the phone the next day when the overnights for the MTV event happened. Is that true? I had not heard that story before. I had heard that Dick Ebersol saw the overnights on MTV and he was on the phone with Vince McMahon the next day. And that's where the deal went down for Saturday night's main event. Well, I, I did not know that. Well, without getting off track, I mean, Saturday night's main event, the idea of wrestling being on NBC just blew everyone's mind in 1985. Yeah. yeah, it's the only time you saw Hogan. If you like unless you went to the arena, you never saw him on TV. Rarely. He was on TV maybe once a year. I remember yeah. he wrestled Johnny Rods on TV in 85 and I think that was Rods's going away present and he wrestled Bob Orton Jr. Memorial Day weekend 1986. But you're basically right. He was rarely on TV wrestling. And the important, the other important part of the MTV thing was the audience they were going for. They never went for this. I mean, not like this. No. MTV was the, the MTV really doesn't have a comparison right now because it's just too spread out. But it was like the hippest thing going in 1984. It wasn't the most, you know, it, it's probably bigger. It is bigger now. But it was just, it was like one of those things that kind of you judged your culture on what MTV was doing and what their videos were doing. So for them to show up there was a stroke of genius by both. Absolutely. I mean, MTV was, you're right, I don't even know what to compare it to. It was such a star maker in the early 80s. I mean, that's the only word I know how to use. They had so much influence upon how we dressed, what we looked like, what we listened to. And yeah, so that, more than anything else, brought wrestling from what we used to talk about, how you never told your friends, to where you would go to school and you'd be talking about it. Yeah, exactly. It was yeah, my that brother, event. My brother was six years younger than me, and he shares that exact same experience that, you know, when he was in junior high school or whatever, everyone was now talking about wrestling. Okay, so let's go to the questions. Uh, Michael Pesolano, on the subject of the first WrestleMania, which I was lucky enough to attend, it lasted a mere two hours and ten minutes. It started at one in the afternoon. It was over at 3.10. Well, um, what do you think about the timing with being so different back then, Brandon, being in the afternoon as opposed to the night events they have now? Obviously, I was born in 84, so I wasn't actually uh, awake yeah. to see that. But I, I do remember a WrestleMania, I believe it was 10, that started very early as well. It doesn't really matter to me, you know, as far as the time goes. What's more interesting to me is the time length, how long the actual event was. Yeah, It was two hours and 10 minutes. You were able to blow off your major feud. You got some pretty solid matches mixed into this card. And then you look fast forward to now where we are in 2020 and these things are running five hours long and they're just a drag. So uh, I kind of like the fact that it was, it was a two hour event. 
I don't know the reason why they chose to run it so early in the day, but I imagine it was better for everybody. The earlier, the better. I imagine everybody wants to get in and get things started. But yeah, I, I liked the fact that it was a two-hour event. Get in, everybody get busy, do what you got to do. They blew off you know, a lot of good stuff. You got the title changes, and they did it in a short amount of time. They didn't have to stretch it and drag it out like they do now. Oh, yeah. I mean, now the standard pay-per-view, like the one they had just last week, I mean, that went two hours. It was scheduled to go three, uh, four hours, and it went like three hours and 50 minutes. And I just don't understand why they have to be that long. You know, we had the first WrestleMania. I mean, the WWF pays such homage to WrestleMania 1, WrestleMania 3, WrestleMania three was like two and a half hours. This thing was two hours and 10 minutes. I just don't see why I I understand. Look, they want to go now. The standard pay-per-view used to be three hours. I think three hours is the right amount of time for these pay-per-views. If you want to go four because it's WrestleMania. Okay. But I just think they're too damn long in general. So, I mean, I'm with Michael two hours and 10 minutes seemed just about right at the time. Sean, what do you think? Absolutely. Um, I'm going to, guess the reason had nothing to do with Vince wanting to give a nice compact product. I'm guessing that back then they really, a nationwide closed circuit was not common. Uh, You would have it sometimes for some major, major boxing matches. Remember the ones they were doing down, you know, Starcade, that was just regional. They weren't doing these nationally. And the one for Ali and Anoki, that was just the main event. Everybody else had all their own cards. Like New York would have their own card. And then, you know, it was the Bruno. I think that was the Bruno Hansen. And then you'd have the Ali getting closed circuit. So to have something like three hours long in a closed circuit, there may have been some significant technological difficulties with doing that. Yeah, I am old enough to remember the buildup for the Inoki Ali match. If you came to the Boston Garden, you watched on a giant television screen. uh, You had the Shea Stadium show from New York, and then you had Ali versus Inoki from Tokyo. Right. So it wasn't a single show getting closed circuited around the country. This was rare in that way. It really, again, it doesn't, it happened with some major, major boxing matches, but it was rare. And the other issue, as far as the time, look who the audience are going for. I mean, look at the MTV thing. You're not going to have a thing on Sunday and put it at 10 at night. Uh, you want to try to drag in as many of those kids as possible. So make it early. You know what? That is a really good point because I was just about to say, I like my entertainment events to be at night, but again, you're right. They were going for a younger audience. Yeah. And I wouldn't kill baseball to pay attention. <laughs> I, I, I remember getting out of this like really dark arena that I'd been in for, you know, two and a half hours and going outside and just being blinded by the light. My God. Where did you see it, John? I saw, you know what? We have a question about that. And I want to save it for that, but I saw it at the Worcester Centrum. Brockton high school. All right. Wow. They had it. That's right. They had it at high schools. Yeah, sure did. Um, that's what that's what I'm saying. The extent of this thing. OK, so uh, go over to the next question. Christian uh, body. For those that don't know or remember, there was uh, yeah, I'm going to you on this one, John. Uh, for those that don't know or remember, there was damn near a riot at the Felt Forum next to MSG. The event was closed circuited so that the smaller venue next to the garden. They somehow oversold the tickets, and uh, over a thousand couldn't get in. The first met WrestleMania was almost a disaster. I have written down here: a defer to John. <laughs> this is the first I have heard of this, and I believe Christian. He knows his stuff. And can you imagine if there was a real riot outside of WrestleMania in New York? That would have fried Vince. I- I'm guessing they had to have a ton of cops there, just in oh, case. Yeah. Like, just yeah. You know, I mean. It's New York. So, yeah, I, I, I've never heard it. I even looked. I couldn't really find anything on it. Uh, but, he, I mean, he was there. I definitely trust his information. Yeah. But this will tell you off the side. This tells you how big this was. I mean, this was like a big national thing. And this also, that's how the deal with Ebersol is how they go to Saturday Night Live. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And, yeah, they, um, I have it in my notes here. But, the, you know, Hogan and Mr. T were all over everywhere. Ebersol. The weeks before the show, they were hosted Saturday Night Live the, the night before WrestleMania. Mr. T was on David Letterman. That's probably a fraction of the stuff that they were doing. They put one of the hosts in the hospital. Oh, that's right. Richard Belzer. Richard <laughs> Belzer. He wanted to find out what was it was like to be, have a sleeper on. He found out. <laughs> yeah, I was a, 
That was kind of, you know what? That was kind of chicken shit of Hogan. I mean, there's no reason. You can put the sleeper hold on him, but don't let him his head bounce off the concrete on the way down. I know, but they've been training these guys to do this for decades up until this point. No, I, I mean, I know Belzer successfully sued Hogan in the, yeah. the WWF, so at the end of the day, it wasn't a great idea. Oh, it definitely wasn't a great idea. I'm just saying it's like, you know, these guys have been trained to do that if you try to, you know, get the fake charge on you to, you know, to, to respond in that way. So Yeah, true. Uh, Matt Brown. Let me start with you on this one, John, too, because it's kind of a business aspect that you're going to know. Matt Brown asks, what would have happened to the wrestling landscape if WrestleMania 1 was a flop? Okay, they thought at one point that it was going to be a flop. The days before the first WrestleMania, the WWF was scrambling to cancel locations. They, I want to say they canceled 10, and they tried to cancel more, and they just, you know, the arena wouldn't allow it. It turns out that when people go to see a closed-circuit event, they tend to buy the tickets the day of the show because they know they can. And, it, you know, if they wake up that day and, just don't feel like going, they won't have an unused ticket. But to answer Matt's question, I don't think the wrestling landscape would be terribly different than it is now. It is possible that Vince may have had to take on a partner or something like that, but WWF wrestling was still immensely popular throughout the Northeast. I mean, it was crazy popular in the Northeast, and it was gaining popularity nationally. I mean, that MTV special, like you said, did crazy ratings. I think it would have been a bump in the road. It would have, you know, hurt the WWF. A lot of people had said, oh, if WrestleMania had flopped, the WWF would have gone out of business. Worst case scenario, Vince would have had to sell it. And I don't think that would have happened. Well, uh, this kind of leads me into who could be the partner. That I do not know. One possibility, if they had been able to put their differences aside, might have been Ted Turner. That's what I was going to say. Or uh, Ted Turner, or um, what about someone like Bill Watts? Um, I don't, I don't think Watts would have bought the WWF. I think, I think it would. No, bought it, but came in as a partner. Mm, yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's a possibility. I, I still think it would have been a vanity purchase by like some Hollywood tycoon dude. Yeah. I mean, it's, but what, what do you think would have happened, Brandon? To be honest, I can't see a scenario where it wouldn't have worked, but you know, just kind of playing fantasy here. I, I agree with John. I think it would have uh, probably needed to be some rich guy from, you know, Hollywood or somewhere like that. That just had a, you know, a shit ton of money to toss around. Hey, here, I'll, I'll buy the WWF and see what happens. But again, I think if that would have been the case, then, you know, obviously the entire landscape of the WWF as we know it would have been changed. Uh, but yeah, I would have seen, I, I don't think anyone in the actual wrestling business would have taken the reins. It would have been somebody with just, you know, a shit ton of cash to just throw away and hey, do whatever you do and probably appoint some guys who don't know anything about wrestling. And then we end up, you know, with, WCW, basically. So, yeah, uh, probably just somebody with some some disposable income who would have just tossed a bunch of money that way and and, and bought the company. Yeah, it w I think it would have had to be an, a deal where Vince McMahon, you know, if there's any way he could do it, I th I don't think a WrestleMania one being a bomb would have hurt the WWF to the point where he could not have maintained primary ownership in it. I think if Vince isn't the primary owner. Then that that's when the WWF hits the iceberg, but that that wasn't going to happen. My basic thinking is next man up. If even if the WWF went under, there was it wasn't going to return to the territories. No, it just Vince happened to go first. That was all. If Vince didn't go, then someone else was going. Yeah, and I, I can see wrestling remaining popular. One of the things Vince did, and not to get too far off the subject, but um. He managed to navigate the internet era quite well. When wrestling secrets were finally getting out, there was no purpose of maintaining that, you know, yeah, this is real, man. I think Vince navigated that properly. I don't think a Bill Watts or a Jim Crockett could have done that. I don't know if they could have actually made that leap to what the world would be like after that. Yeah. Okay, so here we go on to our, uh, this is, I guess it'll be me and John. Um, 
Did you watch any of the early WrestleManias on a simulcast big screen or at an arena or elsewhere, or were you there live? Share your experiences, John. Okay. What was, how was it at Worcester? I can only imagine. Well, let, let, yeah. let, let me share this story first. We had bought like six tickets to the Worcester Centrum, uh, all crammed in the car and drove down from Nashua. I had an opportunity to buy two tickets for the first WrestleMania at Madison Square Garden for $40 each. And they weren't great seats. They were good seats. And I decided not to take advantage of this because I had already spent $12 on a ticket to the Worcester Centrum. And plus, I, I guess I didn't want to disappoint the other four people who were going. But man, I, I feel like an idiot for not going to that first WrestleMania. Madison Square Garden is so easy to get to. It is part of Penn Station. They take you. There's a train that plunks you right there. Yeah. Yeah, it brews you right there. So I wound up not doing this. I went to the Worcester Centrum. We watched it on a giant screen. It was a four-sided screen that was like right by the uh, where the scoreboard is at the Centrum. And I remember like we're all everyone's sitting there chattering. And then the lights went off. And I mean, there was just the air came out of that place. Everyone was just like, oh, my God, it's starting. And it was it was a real just quite a moment. I mean, the place went silent and it was it was just so exciting. This was finally going to happen. I remember about a week before the show, I was like, I can't wait for this thing to be over so that the hype can be over for it. Because they were, I mean, plugging the crap out of it on WWF TV. They would have that easy lover song going like five times per show and they had like three shows so but yeah you know what the the wrestling wasn't great at wrestlemania but it delivered everything it promised and i think everyone who went to the centrum to see it went home happy yeah i got no complaints about that event Um, i was about to say were there more uh crack dealers outside or fans inside the arena because i mean the hallowed the hallowed halls of 1985 (laughs) was the centrum uh, you just, you know, I could see why you would want to go to MSG when you, you can, you know, right there, right there in beautiful downtown Worcester. Uh, for those unaware, I mean, no offense to anyone who likes Worcester, but Worcester's a dump. Pretty much everything like outside the western part of Massachusetts, Connecticut, you can have the whole. <laughs> Again, no offense to those who think they like Worcester. I used to go to the Centrum for the old Arena League games and they weren't, you know, it was about half full. And I mean, there was there's like nowhere to go to eat because it's just the centrum and nothing. Well, so, OK, this is I feel free to kind of do a little fantasy booking on this next question. It's from Dan Potts. This is a killer for me because they would have been perfect for this. What were the plans for the free birds had they stayed? Never mind. We'll let John do whatever that's going to be. Um, but Brandon, what do you think? What should they have done with the free birds going into WrestleMania one? This is assuming that the Freebirds were still there. That they were awake for um, all the beatings, yes. <laughs> um, I think you could probably, because at this point they had been, I know they had did some, like some local TV spots or whatever. I think you could have maybe opened the show with them, put them in like a six-man squash, um, you know, against some, some side guys or whatever, get them that exposure. And the crazy thing is, I think that, Obviously, they didn't, you know, miss the ball on them because the WWF went on to do crazy things, amazing things. But just the whole Freebird MTV connection thing, I just think that would have been awesome. Um, you could have put them in a squash match. You could have done some gimmick stuff, maybe had them, you know, try to get them over, try to get them some heat by interrupting someone else's matches and doing one of their little live performances or something like that. I think they could have found a ton of different ways to use those guys uh, at WrestleMania 1 without completely taking away from what they had already had planned, you know, the bigger matches that were coming later in the card. All right. My, my take was, I don't think there was a plan. I think the WWF just, you know, went on the fly during this era, but I'm close to a hundred percent sure that they would have been part of this show in some way, whether it had been Hayes and Gordy in a regular tag match or bringing the novelty of a six man tag match to the first WrestleMania, I think would have been more likely. Sean, what are your thoughts? I just don't see an opponent is my problem. I mean, they're perfect for the scenario. I just don't know who you're running them up against yet. Uh, that's why I don't have anything for WrestleMania one for them. I would love to use them. I think, again, I think they're perfect for the scenario. Uh, so I'm, I'm agreeing with Brandon on that. Probably go with the squash. WrestleMania two is where the benefit will come in. 
because now you can run up Mr. Gordy, who I'll add to my list of people I wouldn't mind seeing against Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania. Yeah, I can see that. You know, one thing I wanted to throw in, I mean, I, and to answer your question, I think they would have put in just one of their tag team, one of their heel tag teams, plus another guy with the other guy doing the job. It's, it's funny, and it's just an observation I wanted to share. Bill Watts wanted Terry Gordy, but he did not want Michael Hayes. But he figured that Gordy needed Hayes, so they put up, so Watts put up with Hayes. McMahon, on the contrary, wanted Michael Hayes, but he did not want Terry Gordy or Buddy Roberts, so I have heard. And he just, all right, if, if I need to bring these guys in to have Michael Hayes as part of the package, I'm willing to do it. Oh, I think Hayes would get swallowed up in that scenario by himself. Just, I mean, just the, the size thing, I think, would kill him. I mean, even Piper was struggling with it a little bit. But Piper's personality is just so overwhelming, he got away with it. I, I think, you know what you just said, Hayes' personality and his look were so overwhelming, he wow. would have got away with it. I mean, Hayes, hey, people believed Michael Hayes when he was against Kerry Von Erich. Nah, that's true. Uh, to Jamie Ward, why was Pat Patterson the second referee with Ali? Was there concerns about Ali is being overly involved or his health or something? John? Well, in an offhand way, I mean, Pat Patterson told this story. Okay. This is not internet BS. This is yeah. straight from Pat Patterson. Ali shows up the day of the fight. Now, let me backtrack a little bit. Ali being the the referee of the main event was a big selling point to this show, okay? That was a major thing. Muhammad Ali was the most famous man in the world. Ali shows up the morning of the show acting like he's going to referee a real fight and talking about what he's going to do to Piper and Orndorff if they get out of line. And Patterson's like, okay, is this a rib? No, it was unfortunately an early onset of Muhammad Ali's Parkinson's disease. But Ali is talking about like, how he's going to fight these guys. So they panic and they say, Muhammad, listen, you'll be the outside, uh, the ring referee, and Patterson will be inside. I remember being at the center, I and mean, everyone groaned when they announced that, and everyone felt like they'd been a little bit ripped off. And then back in the WWF 24-7 days, they had a special, I think it's on WWE Network about you know the legend shows, where Patterson talks about this. But Jamie Ward asked that question. I was, I was surprised that you know he hadn't heard about that because Jamie knows about everything. And I heard the story maybe 87 or 88, and, but Patterson confirms it. Yeah, it was on one of those shows because Michael Hayes kept basically blaming him for trying to get paydays in WrestleMania by coming up with all these different ways to get into matches. <laughs> and that's how the conversation started. Let's pack it into the payday. Um, so, uh, go to Ian Totten. Brandon, do you think it should have been only, uh, Hogan Piper in a solo singles match in the main event? Yeah. I mean, I don't think you could have went wrong with that. I think I, I didn't have a problem with the main event because, you know, WrestleMania one was just as much about star power as it was to me, the actual matches themselves. But yeah, I think you could have ran Hogan Piper one-on-one -on -one there. I think what I do like about the fact that they did end up running the, the, the tag match was we were able to get a, somebody actually getting pinned. I don't think Piper was going to let Hogan pin him at WrestleMania one, but yeah, you could have run those two. They had ran them in the main at the, um, at the wrestling classic a couple months before, or actually, no, that was, that ended up being uh, later in the year. Uh, but yeah, you could have ran those two right by themselves. I think at that point to build up with the whole MTV thing and them having the live match on there that didn't have, you know, a decisive winner, I think people would have been just as fine tuning in to see, uh, you know, sort of like their rematch to see if, if Hogan would be able to actually beat Piper. So I, th I think it would have worked just as fine. I would have probably kept, you know, the whole Ali is the special guest ref type thing. Um, you know, you could have Orndorff and Orton, you know, at ringside. T could have just been Hogan's second. So you still could have kept him involved while, you know, having those two in a one-on-one -on -one match. So, yeah, I, I think it would have went over just as fine. I don't think it would have gone over as well. I mean, if they didn't have the Mr. T option, then yes, Hogan Piper would have been the big match. But here's the thing. Mr. T was a national celebrity. I mean, he was the, the star, the co-star of Rocky Three. He had a highly rated show on NBC, the A-Team. And here's the thing. When, when they had that MTV special, when Paul Orndorff like, attacked Hogan, and Cindy Lauper got in the ring, and they kind of started going after Cindy. 
they started cornering Cindy Lauper, and Mr. T jumped the rail and came in. I mean, the place was going berserk. Okay, Mr. T, he was a celebrity that was considered a tough guy. Okay, the wrestlers are the phonies, but now Mr. T is in the middle of this, and it was a huge selling point. And I also want to talk about this. You know, we talked about what a wild morning they had with Muhammad Ali. They had an even wilder morning the day of the show with Mr. T because he told them he wasn't coming. He said that, um, I forget what he, I don't know what he said, but he's like, I'm not doing this. And he was afraid that once he got in the ring with Piper and Orndorff, he can't fight Piper or Orndorff in real life. And if Piper or Orndorff had just decided to go into business for themselves and shoot on Mr. T and just wrap him up in a knot and make him cry and submit, uh, which either one of them could have done. I mean, it would have been the end of Mr. T because his whole persona was this, you know, real life tough guy. And he had to be sat down with Piper and Orndorff and they both swore up and down to him that they were not going to do that. And obviously they didn't. Also, Mr. T had a traumatic event in Los Angeles the month before where he was a special guest at the show. And twice on the same night, Dr. D. David Schultz tried to start a fight with him. And who knows what was going on with Schultz at this point. But I don't know if Schultz was trying to angle himself into the main event or what. But that, you know, that not the John Stossel incident was the end of Dr. D. David Schultz in the WWF. As a fan looking back on it, I'm like, you know, I would always say, yeah, it should have been a singles match. You had to have to say he was just a celebrity and a tough guy doesn't. He was a phenomenon at this point back that you don't really have it as much now because there's so many different viewing options and things you could be you know, doing. But back then, every five or six years, you would just have one. You know, you some guy would come out of nowhere and just be everywhere. It'd just be like this massive superstar uh, like Eddie Murphy in the early 80s. It was, you know, just like this guy who was just everywhere. This was T- Mr. T right now. And basically, the, they handled him perfectly here. This, they, basically, they spoiled all of us because it has never been that good since, the way this all went down. And I guess also he had a uh, disagreement with Piper ahead of time, which may have also caused T to get spooked. Okay, I can see that. I mean, just to talk about how big... Mr. T was, I mean, Eddie Murphy did a whole stand-up, like a five-minute segment on impersonating Mr. T, so that's how big Mr. T was. Yeah, like a the, um, picture like, I'm trying to, I, there, there's no comparison today, because you have so many different options, you can't have enough people getting on the same page. I guess Trump would be the only thing I could think of that would be close to that kind of, where everybody knows who the guy is. I don't, I don't, I'm not comparing their politics, but I mean, just that, that recognition to everybody. Because, again, you really don't – we all watch so many different things now, but he was a big deal, and you really couldn't have the event without him. And he was an NBC guy. That wasn't an accident. Oh, that's a good point. What about a case you think you need to include TB just because of his sheer stardom? So you think that they could have still ran the singles match with Piper and Hogan and had he go on his press run, his tour, be seen everywhere, and just had TB the special guest referee? You still keep him involved. You still keep him in the center of the action. He's still a big part of the match because, I mean, he really didn't add anything to the tag match. He was pretty much just there the entire time. He wasn't, you know, I think he might have done uh, a nice hip toss. Um, he wasn't, you know, doing any drop kicks or deep arm drags or anything like that. So yeah. you don't think that they still could have incorporated him as like the guest referee, the guest referee of all guest referees, and then still ran Piper Hogan? I think they were better off doing what they did because, like I said, Mr. T, he wasn't just a celebrity. He wasn't like just another actor, another singer, whatever. He was considered like, you know, a a legit people thought he was a real life badass and he was going to get in there and then kick Piper and Orndorff's butt. And you had also had seen celebrity referees before. The difference here was you really never saw the guy in there. So you were were going to see if you were a fan, anything he did was going to be great. Just because you were expecting it to be a disaster. So even if he could do that little hip toss, you're like, oh, okay, that isn't that bad. So he was, they were actually able to put together a match, but his value had nothing to do. Once they got there, it didn't matter. His value was the lead up. And the idea of actually seeing this TV star, it's, you know, do you remember, John, the, um, the network stars? Oh, yeah. You get to see all, the, uh, you know, all these celebrities doing something that they're not used to doing. You know, sometimes athletes, sometimes not. That, that appeal was here, too. 
Yeah, I mean, you, you get to see Mr. T fight the famous wrestlers. I, that was a big part of it. Yeah. So let's go to, okay, um, Greg Klein wants to know, would Bundy have squashed Tony Atlas the way he did, uh, the way he did S.G. Jones? Okay. What do you think, Brandon? I mean, this um, is speculation here, so. Yeah, I mean, it, it, does Tony have a choice? I'm, I'm sure if he had a choice, he probably would say, no, I don't want to lose the way. But, uh, I mean, yeah, I think the goal of Bundy squashing S.G. Jones was to build him as this this monster. Um, and that's I think that's why they stressed the whole fake time, 11 seconds or however long, eight seconds, however long they said it was. It was to build him up to be this huge gigantic monster so i mean yeah whoever he was going to get in there with that night whether it have been atlas sd jones whoever would have been i think bundy was going to squash them and that's just how it was going to go if your plan is to build bundy up to be this massive mega heel um otherwise you know then you have him in there you know you have tony try to slam bundy a couple times toss him around a couple times um so i think for that moment in that spot right there if you want to build bundy up as this guy who you know, might be able to beat Hogan one day, might be able to, you know, end Andre's career. Whoever got into that ring with him was going to get squashed in 11 seconds, and it was going to be Atlas, S.G. Jones, no matter who it was. That's just how it was going to work. And I think if the payday was what the payday was going to be, then Tony would have probably said, okay, cool, let's do it. I, I agree with you. I don't, first of all, I'm unaware that Tony Atlas was ever going to be part of this match. Maybe he was going to i don't know i'd never heard that before if he was i just don't think they would have used tony atlas that way because tony was still sort of a big star coming into 1985 a, a little bit had been taken off and as a matter of fact he was he left the wwf for a little while in 84 wound up in the awa and quickly came back to the wwf so you know he'd been away for a while and Tony was, you know, Tony always had a great deal of charisma. I mean, when I would watch him on Georgia TV, I saw him as a potential future NWA champion. Um, you know, and every time they had him out there against uh, building up a match against Harley Race or Ric Flair, I looked at him and I saw, uh, you know, a guy who could really win this match and, and win the title. So I don't think they would have done that to Tony Atlas. And, and SD, let's face it, you know, he was the guy who, always lost on TV. We liked him, but that was the end result. So they built up that squash. I don't know if they said to Bundy, like beforehand, they must have like, okay, this is going to be a nine second squash. Let's go out and do that. And Bundy's just not good at knowing what nine seconds actually is, but that was the longest nine seconds of my life. I mean, when they announced, Oh, nine seconds, world record, New wrestling record, everyone at the Centrum laughed out loud. It's that new math. The next number after nine was going to be 37. <laughs> um, it's okay. For, they were, we're forgetting an event. John, what major event was SD Jones in uh, right before this? Major event? What major uh -huh. event was, was right? It was on TV. This. It was a major event that happened on oh, TV. That's right. SD. Uh -huh was Andre's tag team partner uh, in the match where Andre the Giant, according to Vince McMahon, was raped of his dignity when he got his hair cut at the hands of Big John Studd, Bobby Heenan, and Ken Patera. And, and S.T. Jones helplessly stood behind. That was the end of all credibility from S.T. Jones. To do any, I don't think there was anything about pushing Bundy huge. You just... You have a WrestleMania match. You have to make it interesting somehow. I never heard Tony getting committed. No, Tony's not getting splashed in this match. They just wouldn't have used him. But I'm thinking that what else are you going to do? You gonna this is probably you know what this is probably his thank you for doing that part. Is he got the WrestleMania payday for basically you know committing career suicide on television? I, I mean, yeah, I, I I remember watching that match and thinking. Boy, it's really odd that you've got John Stunn and Ken Patera, two main eventers, against Andre the Giant and S.D. Jones. And I, as soon as that happened, I remember thinking, okay, what's going on here? But then, oddly enough, about a year after that match happened, on Saturday night's main event, it was Andre the Giant and Tony Atlas against Big John Studd and King Kong Bundy. 
And they made Atlas look helpless, which at the time shocked me because I still saw Tony Atlas as the same guy he was in Georgia, same guy he was earlier in his WWF run. And they, you know, the heels just tossed Tony aside and beat up Andre and Hulk Hogan had to come out and save the day. How long had Tony been back? Uh, let me see. Tony, he had a hiatus where he was in the AWA for about three or four months. So I think he was back like fall of 1984. Before, I mean, he made his WWF debut in 1979. I know. I mean, when was the match? Like, how long had he been around before the match with Andre? I want to say about exactly one year. He had been back non-consecutively with the WWF. Because I'm wondering if this was some kind of a, I don't, I don't want to say like a, a punishment, but a, um, are you going to play ball with us now? You know, kind of like one of those, you know, because that's why, is that why he, he was just being difficult? That's why he didn't get on WrestleMania. What was the exact story for him not making the show? It was a disciplinary thing, though, wasn't it? Uh, not that I'm aware of. I mean, they just couldn't get everyone on WrestleMania. It was, I believe, an eight-match event. And yeah, I just think, you know, just not everyone got on it. Like, I didn't look at this. And even though I saw Tony Atlas as a star, I never said to myself, okay, where's Tony Atlas? Why is Tony Atlas not on this? Well, I know, but I mean, I'm looking at this card and there's, you know, there are people there that aren't as big as Tony. Uh, I mean, he was still kind of a big deal at this point. And you know what? Also, this WrestleMania, like, it wasn't stacked with, you know, okay, this guy has to be on, that guy has to be on. What am I trying to say? Like, you know, Ricky Steamboat was on against, was it Steamboat and Bourne? And who did Buddy Rose fight? I'm drawing a blank here. uh, Hold on, pull it up. It was Steamboat and Bourne for sure. Yeah, Steamboat and Bourne. Uh, Oh, Tito. Okay, Tito Santana against the Executioner who, as soon as he, the executioner, did that interview, literally everyone in the arena started laughing and saying, oh, that's Playboy Buddy Rose. I mean, was it, at first, I, you needed to hear his voice? <laughs> and he had his boots with his initials BR on them, and he had yeah, the full-way diet still wasn't working. It was not working. I, I, I don't even know why they put a mask on him. I mean, Buddy Rose, you know, he just... He was a, a small fish in a big pond in the 1985 WWF, so I don't think there would have been any shame in doing the job as just plain Buddy Rose. But anyway, our time has expired. The hour always goes by so quickly every week, and I've got good news for everyone. Brandon is going to be on next week's recording. Am I right, sir? That is correct, sir. All right. Looking forward to doing that. Sean Goodwin, thank you for all that you do for the Stick to Wrestling podcast. I also want to thank our producer, Lou Kippelman, for everything he does. And this has been a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Stay safe, y'all. Stick to Wrestling.